Okay, good evening, everyone. I hope everyone is well. Um, my name is Asanele, and I'll be doing the Bible reading for today. Um, the word is Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17. And it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Good evening, everybody. Why don't I open in a word of prayer, and then we'll come to God's word. Why don't you join me? Heavenly Father, uh, as usual, we come with empty hands. We come bringing nothing. We come uh, in desperate need of time with you. And we come in desperate need of an encounter with you. Uh, through your Son and in the power of your Spirit. So, so please will you meet with us, Lord. Please will you speak through your word. Please will you change us. We, we long to leave here not as we entered. Uh, we long to leave here changed people. And uh, that is an act of God, Lord. We know it um, in our better moments. We acknowledge we can change nothing. Only you can change us. So please will you do that, Lord, in the power of your Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this particular sermon, <laughs> it's a good time, a good time to do that. Uh, this particular sermon is about your life. Now, hopefully that's true of most of the sermons you hear at Christchurch Midrand, that they are in some way relevant to your life. But this one, this one is really about your life. This one invites you to hold up a magnifying glass. The question that our passage and this sermon seeks to answer is this. What difference does belonging make to your life? What difference does belonging make to your life? The theme of our whole series, uh, for those who are just joining us, we are in Ephesians. We've been working our way through Ephesians. And the theme that we've discovered that runs throughout the book of Ephesians is this theme. You belong. There it is on the screen behind me. You belong. Week after week, that message has been drilled into us. You belong. You are a child of God. You belong to Him. Tonight we ask the question, what difference does that make? Actually, we started asking that question back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. After three chapters of explaining and reminding us that we belong and what it cost God for us to belong and what God has done to make it possible for us to belong, Paul says this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do you hear that? In other words, because you belong, it matters how you live. Paul is crystal clear. You don't live a certain way in order to belong. No, you belong. And so now you live a certain way. That's what Paul means when he refers to our walk. Walk is just Jewish idiom for how you live. For your patterns of thought, word, and deed. Your patterns of behavior. And five times, five times in the second half of this letter, he has said to the Ephesians, you belong. Because of what Christ has done, you belong. And so now walk this way. Five times. You belong, 
so walk this way. That's Paul's ethic. You know how we talk about ethics, corporate ethics, ethics in the realm of education. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, people will talk about ethics. Well, here's Paul's ethic. And it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's an identity ethic. Paul calls the Ephesians and God is calling us to be who you are. Be who you are. That's Paul's ethic. Christ has made you a child of God. Now walk as a child of God. Live as a child of God. Five times he says it. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Walk in unity. Walk together. Don't walk wander off on your own. Walk together. Walk in unity. 4.17. Walk in holiness. Walk as those who have been set apart. As those who are different from the surrounding culture. Chapter 5, verse 1. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Chapter 5, verse 7. Walk in the light. That means walking in purity of thought and word and deed. And finally, chapter 5, verse 15. Walk in wisdom. As dearly beloved children, walk in wisdom. You belong, so walk in wisdom. Okay, but what is wisdom? Thankfully, Paul has defined it for us back in chapter 1. And in that passage, it's clear, it is by wisdom, it is by wisdom that we understand God's eternal plan for salvation. His plan is His wisdom. And He shares that wisdom with us. His plan is to place, if you remember, all the way back to chapter 1, That's now months ago. His plan is to place all things in heaven and on earth under the saving lordship of Jesus Christ. That's his plan. That's what God is doing with all of history. Placing all things under Christ. With all of the universe. Placing all things under Christ. With all of his creation. Placing all things under Christ. And wisdom is insight into the will of God. Later on in chapter 1, Paul prays that God would grant the Ephesians such wisdom. So wisdom is like the unveiling of a beautiful canvas. And on that canvas is God's eternal plan of salvation. Perhaps something like this. If you could throw it up, gents. Something like that. That's the palace at Avignon. I chose a castle because we, we're speaking about the kingdom of God, right? This is God's, this is God's wisdom. This is God's plan for all of history, to place all things under the saving lordship of Christ. Wisdom is the big picture, the whole canvas. But that big picture is made up of tiny details. If you could go to the next slide. Right, that's a close-up. That palace is an impressionist painting. Impressionist paintings are made up of tiny pointings, thousands and thousands of dots or stripes or lines. And so the whole canvas is made up of thousands of these little details. Like a great artist, you can go back to the previous slide, please, Proud. Like a great artist, God coordinates all those thousands of little details into the big picture, including including the details of your life. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to what it says. For we are his workmanship, his artwork, if you like. We are his artwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's our word. We are God's artwork, prepared beforehand, prepared from eternity. In other words, the tiny details of our lives contribute to the beautiful canvas that is God's eternal plan for salvation. And the tiny details of our lives contribute to that beautiful plan when we walk in wisdom. We can see that in our passage. God calls us to walk in wisdom, right? That's the passage that Asanelia read for us. He calls us to walk in wisdom, and then he goes on to apply that call in the rest of chapter 5. If we were to read the whole chapter, you'll see he applies that call to marriage, to parenting, and to work. So there's God's grand plan of salvation to put all things under Christ, and then there are the mundane details of our lives, just ordinary things. The nine to five, marriage, parenting, work. doesn't get more ordinary than that. Here's what wisdom does. Wisdom helps us connect the two. Do you see that? Helps us relate the parts to the whole and the whole to the parts. God's plan to the details of our lives. Wisdom helps us to align the details of our lives with God's grand plan. And to work out God's grand plan into the details of our lives. Wisdom is finding our place on the canvas. Where are you in God's grand plan? We find our, in wisdom, we find our place on the canvas. We align the details of our lives with the beauty of what God is doing. That's why we walk in wisdom. Because Walking is about the details of your life. It's understanding which way God is taking the universe. Let's make it true north. Which way God is taking the universe. And then walking in the same direction. That's wisdom. If God is placing all things under the gracious, loving rule of King Jesus, then wisdom is figuring out how to place every corner of my life or your life under the gracious, loving rule of King Jesus. Are you with me? Are you beginning to understand we're getting the gist of wisdom in general? You're with me. Fantastic. Because now Paul is going to flesh it out for us in his passage. And he says three things about wisdom in those few verses. Three things. He says these three things. Wisdom is careful. Wisdom buys back the time. And wisdom seeks to understand the will of God. Those three things. Wisdom is careful. Wisdom buys back the time. And wisdom seeks to understand the will of God. Okay, so let's begin at the beginning. Wisdom is careful. Paul instructs the Ephesians to look carefully. Now the word carefully in the original has the idea of precision, diligence, pinpoint accuracy. In other words, the details of your life matter. They actually matter. And the call is for us to do a detailed inventory of our lives. The call is for us to do a lifestyle audit. That's the call of wisdom. 
the call of wisdom confronts us with a question. Are you careful with the details of your life? Are you careful or are you casual? Are you careless? I have grace. So what does it matter? God will forgive me. So what does it matter? God is saving the world. What difference does it make how much I eat or where I spend my money or the company I keep or what I do with my time? What difference does it make? God's doing his thing. I'll do my thing. Wisdom says, God is saving the world. You belong to his salvation plan. And that's exactly why it matters. So look carefully. Look carefully how you walk. Here's the awkward question for all of us. When last did you do that? When last did I do that? Can I encourage all of us to go home this evening... And over the course of this next week, to do some careful, prayerful looking at our lives. Looking at the details. Looking for the patterns of thought, word, and deed. Examining those details. Holding up that microscope. Socrates said, the unexamined life isn't worth living. And at that point, I think he was actually bumping into some biblical wisdom. Wisdom takes a careful look at the details of life. But with what aim? What's the goal? Why should we walk carefully? What are we trying to achieve? It leads us into our second point. Wisdom buys back the time. Back in verse 15. Look carefully. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise... But as wise, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time is a bit of a lame translation. The word is to redeem. That word implies buying someone out of slavery or out of imprisonment. We are instructed to redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. The times we live in are locked up by evil. In the words of chapter 2, the times we live in are under the tyranny of Satan. Under the tyranny of the prince of the air. That applies to all time, including our own use of time. So either we free our time to serve the king and his kingdom, or our time is trapped in its bondage to evil. There's a sign that reads, maybe you've seen the meme Reads as follows, lost, yesterday, somewhere between sunrise and sunset, two golden hours, each set with 60 diamond minutes, no reward offered, they are gone forever. I think we can all empathize, we can all appreciate the sadness expressed in that sign. We all feel that sense of loss when it comes to time. Can I say, especially as you get older, you feel it all the more. We all comprehend the tragedy of a wasted life. But for someone who belongs, this takes on a whole new meaning. Because you, if you belong here this evening, and I don't mean belong in this room, I mean 
if you are a child of God this evening, if you belong to the king, you can make time count for eternity. Do you grasp the power and the privilege of belonging? When you belong, you can make time count for eternity. That's the privilege, the power, the awesome responsibility of belonging. The thing about time is that we lose it. We can't hold on to it. It's like water in your hands. But the kingdom of Christ is going to endure forever. So whatever time you devote to the kingdom is suddenly not lost. It is stored up for eternity. It counts for eternity. More than that, every time you devote a second, a minute, an hour to the kingdom, you are setting it free from its bondage to evil. By evil, we mean anything that isn't in the service of the king. Evil isn't just giving time over to hatred or jealousy or lust. That is evil. But it's more than that. The devil is equally delighted in mindless distraction. He loves wasted time. He loves nothing more. Anything that keeps you from loving God and loving your neighbor, he's laughing. C.S. Lewis wrote a book that is an exchange of letters from a senior demon to a junior demon. Okay, the senior demon is called Screwtape. The junior demon, his nephew, is called Wormwood. They're discussing how Wormwood is going to tempt this human being. They refer to the human being as the patient. Of course, they're demons. And so when they talk about the enemy, they're talking about God. Okay? So you've got Screwtape, the senior demon, writing to Wormwood, his nephew, the junior demon. He's advising him on how to tempt the patient, this human being. That's me and you. And whenever there's mention of the enemy, that's God. You'll get the hang of it. Here's one letter. My dear Wormwood, a few weeks ago you had to tempt your patient to unreality and inattention in his prayers. But now you will find him opening his arms to you and almost begging you to distract his purpose and benumb his heart. He will want his prayers to be unreal, for he will dread nothing so much as effective contact with the enemy, with God. As this condition becomes more fully established, you will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. You no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's newspaper will do. You can make him waste his time not only in conversations he enjoys with people that he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up at night, late at night, staring at a dead fire in a cold room. And nothing is very strong. Nothing is very strong. Strong enough to steal away a man's best years. Not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why. In the gratification of curiosity so feeble that the man is only half aware of them. In drumming of fingers and kicking of heels and whistling of tunes that he doesn't like. You will say that these are very small sins. 
And doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that the, that the cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. The goal of the devil is to distract us. To distract us with mindless nothing or anything. If the goal of the devil is to distract us with mindless nothing or anything, imagine what he can do with social media. With platforms that are actually designed to distract you. Imagine how much fun he has when we binge watch our favorite series or spend all Saturday on the couch watching highlights. The call of wisdom is to redeem the time, buy it back, set it free, because the days are evil. There are so many opportunities to do good if we will only take the time. The call of wisdom is to reclaim this hour for the kingdom. It's a key part of taking a careful look at how you walk. How do you use your time? Jonathan Edwards was a leader in America's great awakening in the 18th century. He's still considered one of the most influential Christian leaders of the past three centuries. Before we get to him, who here is in their 20s? Can I have a show of hands if you're in your 20s? A good, a good number of us. Who here is still in their teens? Anyone in their teens here? And uh, uh, Some are claiming it, but we're doubtful. <laughs> a few of us still in our teens. Well, you're in good company because before Jonathan Edwards turned 20, so he's 19, he wrote a series of 70 resolutions to live by. Let me read you just three of them. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Resolution number five. Resolved. Never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolution seven. Resolved. Never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolution 17. Resolved. That I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. It's impressive, isn't it? But before we declare him a wise man, we have to ask what his motives were. Because there's a ton of time management wisdom out there. You've all seen it. Some of the most evil geniuses who ever lived were very disciplined with their time. So your motives matter. Why did Jonathan Edwards want to buy back the time? Why was he so disciplined with his time? Listen to resolution number one. 
resolved. I will do whatever, whatever I think will be most to God's glory. Jonathan Edwards, age 19, wanted to make the most of his time because he belonged to God. And he knew that it would bring God glory if he did. That brings us to the final characteristic of wisdom that we're going to look at this evening. So number three, wisdom seeks to understand the will of God. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Folly, foolishness, is all about my will. It's all about my will. In fact, a lot of Christian wisdom on guidance on how the Lord guides us, is really all about getting the Lord to approve my plans for my life. I want Him to consecrate my plans. He must rubber stamp my plans. I need the, the divine rubber stamp on my plans. And so what do I do? I look for a sign. Right? I want to do X, Y, Z, and so I look for a sign. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. You can be sure, when you go looking for a sign, you will find one. I've had Christians tell me that they must take this job overseas because the company phoned twice. And that second call has got to be a sign from God. <laughs> Companies will do that if they want to employ you. They will phone twice. If you want to take the job, take the job. But don't put your decision on God. As if a second phone call is a sign from Him. Open and close doors. Oh my goodness. We make a mess of this. You know, you've heard, you've heard this kind of thing. If God wanted me to stop doing X, Y, Z in brackets, this stupid sinful thing, well then he would close the door, wouldn't he? Actually, no. God has made us moral agents. He has given us freedom to make decisions. So don't blame him for your sin or your folly. He didn't close the door. Wisdom seeks to understand God's plan and then align itself with His plan. Wisdom is us aligning ourselves with God's plan, not us getting God to align Himself with our plan, which is how we often go about wisdom, wisdom or guidance. Now having said that, please do remember that God's plan is a huge canvas. It's a huge canvas. There is so much room to play. Or to switch metaphors, God's plan is like the Congo River. Swim anywhere you like. Just don't swim against the current. Otherwise, swim wherever you like. Wisdom asks this question. If God is putting all things, if this is what God is doing with all of history, and you can go and read Ephesians chapter 1 and check me on this. But if God is putting all things under the gracious, loving rule of King Jesus, how do I do that in my own life? In every corner of my life. How do I do that in my romantic relationship? Or with my parents? my relationship with my parents, or at work? How do I redeem the time in each one of those areas of my life? 
Many of us here um, are employed, so uh, you spend a lot of time working. A lot of your week is given over to work. So let me, let's focus there, just, just for the sake of limited time this evening. I'm going to give you three examples of men who I think have taken a careful look at their lives in order to understand the will of the Lord so that they can buy back the time. In other words, they've sought to walk in wisdom. Three men. Three examples. The CEO, the lawyer, and the metro police officer. These are real life examples. First, the CEO. Here was a man who had everything. Successful, highly successful Joburg businessman. Mansion in the northern suburbs. Whole fleet of expensive cars. Judged to be a wise man in the eyes of our culture, but in the eyes of God, an absolute fool. When he wasn't earning a ton of cash for his shareholders, he was drinking and gambling and cheating on his wife. And then he had a stroke. He should have died. But God intervened in the most miraculous way. That's a story for another time. In the months that followed, he lost everything. But he also gained everything. He lost his wife. He lost his job. He lost his money. No surprise, he lost his friends once he'd lost his money. But by the love of Christian people who walked with him when he had nothing to give them in return, he came to know God. And now for the first time in his life, he actually belonged. Now here's a man. He's just discovered that he's a child of God. He's just discovered that he belongs. He's a man with an incredible CV and a highly sought-after skill set. The burning question for him, what should he do with his time? Because he knew that God is putting all things under Jesus and he only has a few years left to give to that enterprise. So what should he do? First thing he did, he ran... A shelter for street children. This is a former CEO of a JSC listed company. Runs a shelter for street children. After that, he became the business, business manager at a Bible college. And after that, he used every waking moment that he had to spread the gospel across Africa. That's how he redeemed the time. That was his response to the call to walk in wisdom. Next, the lawyer. Young lawyer, precocious talent, reached the top of his game just about, almost. There was one hurdle left, one final hurdle. And it should have been a, a non-entity because he was overqualified. His CV was littered with experience and success. But because of jealousy... And politics, there was a glass ceiling. And he just couldn't break through. The injustice of it was so obvious and so enormously painful. What did it look, what did it look like for him to walk in wisdom at that point, at that crossroads in his life? What did it look like for him to buy back the time because the days are evil? What did it look like? In a word... Integrity. 
Instead of fighting fire with fire, he was going to fight fire with water. Instead of playing politics, he was going to overcome this evil with good. Instead of getting dirty, he was going to be the best and most honest lawyer he could be, promotion or no promotion. Integrity was his protest and his witness. Why? Because that's what God is doing. God is placing all things under Christ, and he wanted to walk with God. Finally, the Metro police officer. This officer from Mamalodi was effectively stationed at a municipal substation as a security guard. His superior said to him, go and park your car there and stay there the whole day. And do that over and over and over again. Can you imagine how frustrating that must have been? Can you imagine how demeaning and humiliating for a metro police officer to function as a security guard? The people in the township were all mocking him. And so it's hardly surprising that he got deeply frustrated. He started arriving late. He would leave early. He, he couldn't care less. He took every opportunity to badmouth his employer, to cheat his employer. But he was a Christian. And one day a fellow believer asked him, what happens when you don't do your job? People steal and vandalize. And what happens when people steal and vandalize? The, the power shuts down. What happens when the power shuts down? Well, businesses can't run and criminal activity increases. Well, what happens when businesses can't run and crime increases? People lose their jobs and their personal safety. Do you think your work matters to God? When a brother explained to him that he could do this work, this very menial work, he could do it unto the Lord for the glory of God, it changed everything. It changed everything. He gets to work early. He leaves late. He's full of passion for his job. He shares that passion with others. He parks faithfully next to that substation, whether his employer is checking on him or not. He parks there even when he knows no one is watching because he knows God is watching. Why does he do it? Because he wants to live a careful life. Because he wants to walk in wisdom. He wants to understand the will of the Lord. He wants to buy back the time. Because the days are evil. He wants to place himself in every corner of his life under the gracious, loving rule of King Jesus. And you can too. Because you belong. Let's pray. Father, in our, in our better moments, we desperately want to live a careful life. We want to walk in wisdom, to understand your will, to buy back the time that you've given us. Every second is a gift from your hand. We want to value that gift. But Father, we know we can't do this by a mere resolution or by our own willpower. We need your spirit to fill us and to empower us 
so that we can order the details of our lives, all the details of our lives, Lord, the mundane details of our lives, order them all to your glory. Give us ever more insight into the grandeur of your plan, the beauty of your plan, the majesty of your plan, the scale of your plan. Help us and guide us as we try to work that plan out in our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been really good to be with you all this evening. Folks, don't rush off. There's lots of time for us to hang around. You can grab another cup of uh, coffee or tea. Can I ask the gentleman? Oh, let me first say this. If you are in need of prayer, we do have a prayer room. It's just in the uh, Mahal Center, which is just other side of this wall. If, if you would like someone to pray with you, uh, we have a